Geirish Nation, it's game week. It's here. It's finally here. As of time of recording, we are seven days out from the season opener against the Ohio State University Buckeyes. And I am so desperate for college football that I watched the Nebraska-Northwestern Week Zero game. That's when you know you're getting bad, when Scott Frost and Fitz, Fitzgerald at Northwestern are getting you tuned in for, for college football. So, Mike, more importantly, or maybe not more importantly, equally importantly, the second annual Garish Talk giveaway is also back. Yeah, I'm going to talk about that in a second. But, Brett, as you said, there were actual college football games this weekend, finally. It's not really the high-profile games that we are going to be excited about next week. But needless to say, I, I watched the Nebraska game, too, and I think it's uh, safe to say that Nebraska is not back. They, uh, <laughs> they, it looks, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Scott Frost. We're not a Nebraska podcast, but it'll be interesting to see how long he lasts. Also, as you mentioned, we're doing our second annual Guyrish Talk giveaway. What that was last year is we created a Twitter contest where if you liked us, follow, followed us, retweeted our tweet about the contest, then we would put you into a pool where we would randomly draw a name, and the winner of that won two tickets to USC last year. So we're replicating that this year, but we're doing it for Stanford. So Stanford, the Stanford-Notre Dame game, it's a Notre Dame home game. It's on October 15th, and the rules are the same. So if you want to enter... Follow us on Twitter, Guyrish Talk. That's the first step. Follow us on Twitter. And then after that, like and retweet the post that we have about the contest. So if you do that, you get an entry. However, we've also included an ability to get bonus entries. So in addition to doing what I just said, if you DM us proof that you follow our podcast on any network of your choice, we'll give you a bonus entry that increases your odds of winning. And then if you Michael, also- for our, uh, Michael, for our baby boomer listeners, what does DM mean? <laughs> Good point. Uh, direct message. So on Twitter, you can essentially just message us privately as opposed to just replying to a tweet. That's what direct messaging is. So if you're not aware of what that is, you can you can figure it out pretty easily on Twitter. And that's just, just trying to help my, my mom and dad out. No, it's good. We're, we're shout out mom and dad. Love you. We're friendly. Our, this podcast is friendly to all ages. We we welcome everyone. And then the second way that you can get an additional bonus entry is that you DM us direct message us proof that you've reviewed our show on that podcast network. So if you do all of this, you can get three entries. Obviously, that increases your chances of winning quite a bit. The entry is going to close on September 3rd at 9 p.m. Eastern. And then after that, after the Ohio State game, when we release our podcast after the game, sometime after that, we will announce the winner on our podcast. And then we will also tweet about it at some point too, a little bit after that. So that's the contest. We're excited about it. We got a really good feedback on it last year. The winner last year, he we talked to him, had a great experience. He had never been to a Notre Dame home football game, and then he got to see a rivalry game, Notre Dame-USC, which it's just like one of those games that if you're a big college football fan, uh, it's it's definitely up there on the bucket list. So he, he, he liked it a lot, and we're hoping that we can give someone else another really good experience this year. Awesome. So go check us out on Twitter, like the show, follow the show, get those automatic downloads going, leave us a review. Um, before we dive into the show, this is our last season preview show, although it's really focused on one game, but one more time for our listeners, uh, just going to step back and talk about how we approach Geirish Talk. We, we won't keep leading every show off with this, but just as a reminder on what our mantra is, we are a glass half full data analytics podcast. We've repeated this over the last few shows, but really just want to give you a feel for how we approach college football. And specifically, we, we go deep into analytics particularly predictive analytics that better articulate what's really going on in the football program or what really is driving certain results um, on the field. 
That's right. So when we preview games like today's show for Ohio State, you're not going to hear us talk about where Ohio State sits in the polls or what their win-loss record is or was last year. Instead, we're going to talk about pro football focus grades to really understand the talent and the production of the team. We'll also talk about SP Plus as a predictive tool to better understand how Notre Dame and Ohio State match up and what that means for expectations in this game. Yeah, and then as we've talked about a lot, glass half full. So our other mantra is really positivity. This is not a Stephen A. Smith podcast shouting from the rooftops with hot takes we're going to generally look for the optimistic spin particularly when talking about players that you know we we find a lot of joy cheering for these guys week in and week out we love cheering for Notre Dame we love being fans of college football of the college athlete and and rooting for them on Saturday so big belief that being a true college football fan requires a degree of positivity. You got to be somewhat realistic, but we're always going to, you know, look for the silver lining, look for areas of improvement, um, and and take a positive spin where where we can within an analytical framework. Agree. As Pete Sampson says, this is supposed to be fun. This is supposed to be an enjoyable experience, and that's our mindset. Now, moving on, we have a great show for you today. Two segments. We're going to preview the Ohio State season opener and how Notre Dame matches up against one of college football's juggernaut programs. And then we're going to assess the success of first-year head football coaches over the last decade and what that implies for Marcus Freeman in year one as Endy's head coach. Notre Dame, our mother. All right, Notre Dame kicks off the season in Columbus against the Ohio State University. That's a very bad Gus Johnson impersonation, but it's all I got today. So we're going to go through this preview by covering four questions about the game and in doing so, give our listeners a good preview for what to expect come next Saturday, key matchups to focus in on and all the back and forth that, that you need to really know where Ohio State is at, why they're so highly ranked preseason number two in the country. So the first question, Mike, this offense is getting a ton of hype, a ton of hype that they could be historically one of the greatest all-time offenses in college football history. Why are they getting that hype? How should we think about this offense in historical perspective? I think you got to start with where their offense was last year. So if you look at their offense last year, they... Were, if you look at SP+, Plus, they were ranked number one. So according to the advanced stats, they had the best offense last year. You combine that with the returning production, and they have a ton of re- returning production. C.J. Stroud is back. He's a Heisman, uh, a big-time Heisman contender. Trevion Henderson, he was a running back last year. I think, it was his, I think it was his first year last year. I think he was a freshman, and he put up some pretty good numbers. He didn't perform quite at, at the level of an elite back, but as a true freshman to perform that well, I think it's reasonable to expect a pretty big jump. And then the one area where they don't have as much returning production is at the receiver position, but that's an area that they have recruited historically well honestly it's just loaded with five stars all expectations are these guys are the receivers are not going to miss a beat and they're going to come out and and be an exceptional unit and then even on the offensive line they have they have some studs there as well so just across the board this is an offense that is loaded they were really good last year they have a ton of returning production they're again just littered with potential first round picks so it's going to be tough for Notre Dame's defense to match that. In terms of greatest all time, you hear, you've heard some rumors that maybe this could be the greatest offense of all time. We need to pump the brakes on that a little bit. I think certainly it's plausible that it could be, but are they going to be better than LSU's offense with Joe Burrow? That's very tough. I think that was probably the greatest offense I've ever seen. That's going to be really tough for them to match that. I think, I think there's a pretty good chance that they will end up being the best in the country this year offensively. Best all time, that's certainly quite a challenge. So we'll see. Overall expectations are this is an elite, elite offense. 
And I would be surprised if they're not performing, if their offense isn't one of the top three in the country. Anything less than that would be shocking to me. I think they'll probably be number one this year. I, I agree. I think you need to double click on CJ Stroud. He had a pro football focus grade last year of 92. Um, he was third in the country in touchdowns, second in QB. He was eighth in pressure to sack rate. That's something we talk about way too much because we've been watching Jack Cohn play quarterback and take a lot of sacks when under duress. He's mobile. He's elusive. His pro football focus grade was second in the country. Most of these are behind Bryce Young, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. Um, another really interesting stat, big play guy, but he, he had a turnover worth play rate. So basically... Plays where it should have been a turnover, whether they got actually caught the interception or not, or whether they actually picked up the fumble or not, was a two and a half percent rate. What that really translates to is it was top twenty-five in the country. So a guy that can go out there and throw for forty-four touchdowns, but also avoid sacks and protects the football, about as complete of a college football quarterback as there is right now, other than maybe Bryce Young. He's probably one A, one B with Bryce Young. And he's a surefire top five NFL draft pick um, in almost every mock draft. And he is supported. You mentioned Travion Henderson with 1,200 rushing yards as a uh, freshman. So a tremendous amount of um, production out of that position. Maybe the other biggest player, though, that just needs to be talked about is Jackson Smith and Jigba. So last year... Um, Jackson was one of a wide receiver trio with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. And those two guys are now playing in the NFL. They were the 10th and 11th overall draft picks. So two top 11 NFL draft picks, a wide receiver. But Jackson Smith Njigba was the best out of all of those guys. He just wasn't eligible for the NFL draft. So came back. He had 1,600 yards last year. He had 8.3 yards um, after contact per reception, that was 10th in the country. Um, he caught 85% of targets thrown his way. 85%. That is an absurd stat. Like in the 70s is elite. That was second in the country. So what Stroud and Smith Najigba bring back as a quarterback wide receiver duo, given they've already done it once, they've already put up all American numbers once. If they repeat that again, they might be the greatest quarterback wide receiver duo ever. Right now, I think that probably belongs with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. Like statistically, Joe Burrow set, you know, the all-time touchdown record at 60 in college football, but they did it once in 2019. If CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith and Ujigba would pull that again over a second season, that is just unbelievably elite um, talent coming back. It really reminds me of when Notre Dame went up against Alabama in the college football playoff um, with who quarterback was Mac Jones and the Heisman Trophy winner was Devontae Smith. And like they just had talent left and right all over the field. That is the level we're talking about. Um, we can get back to matchups a little bit later in, in the other questions, but it's just really, really important for Notre Dame fans to go into this game knowing we've got a new head football coach. We've talked about some of the different question marks on our roster, but think this is a top 10 Notre Dame team. But Ohio State's offense, particularly in the passing game, maybe not historically greatest of all time. I, I agree, Mike. I think we got to pump the brakes and can't quite go there yet. But gosh, it's going to be a top two or three offense in the country. 
and almost certainly the number one passing game or at least quarterback wide receiver duo. And there's parts of this offense that deserve real consideration, not just for like all American type conversation, but is this the best of the decade? Is this the best of the last 20 years? Is this the best of kind of modern football? They like CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba deserve that type of consideration. Definitely. I think they have the pieces. They do have the pieces to be potentially the greatest offense of all time. You just have to go out and do it. And that's very, very challenging to do. So I, I, I'm probably going to bet against them doing it just because I, that is such a challenging thing to do. But you look at this roster and it's, it's loaded all over. We said receiver, they don't have as much returning production there, but they do have a proven commodity with Jackson Smith and Jigba. We know that he is going to be performing at a very high level, probably a first round pick level. And then these other guys that they got, Marvin Harrison Jr., Julius Fleming, these guys were all studs as recruits. And by all accounts, they're going to be really good when they hit the field this fall. Even the offensive line, that's a position that doesn't get quite as much attention. They have quite a bit of returning production there. Looking at the stats, it looks like they have about 65% of returning snaps. Let's see, Paris Johnson Jr., he's a preseason first-team All-American. Dewan Jones, potential second-round draft projection. These guys don't get as much hype as the skill positions, but they're very good, and they're certainly not going to hold the team back. You combine all this and... It's just, it's hard to imagine. And I think Notre Dame's defense is going to be really good. But when you're going against potentially a historically great offense, it's going to be tough. It's going to be very tough. Yeah, and we, we can come back in a little bit and talk about what Notre Dame needs to do if they're going to pull off what's a really, you know, big, frothy upset. Um, right now, I think the latest is we're 17-point underdogs. That's about what we were underdogs against Alabama in the college football playoff, Clemson three or four years ago in the college football playoff. So, you know, when we've had some of those blowout losses, we've gone in as multi-score underdogs. Here's another one. Get ready. What we talk about a lot, we've said this theme a lot in the offseason, and it was to really get our listeners used to this storyline going into Ohio State. The formula to be a top 25 program consistently in almost any analytical model is to have elite, high-end offensive line and defensive line play. If you have strong offensive lines and defensive lines, you'll be a top 25 team. That's what Brian Kelly's built. That's what we have this year. We, we talked about our strongest units are, are in the trenches for Notre Dame. What makes you a top five program and really what lets you contend for a championship is that plus elite play on the outside. So quarterback what to wide receivers, and elite cornerbacks to stop another team's elite wide receivers. So in this game, we're talking about potentially the greatest quarterback wide receiver duo of all time. Reminds me a lot of talking about Mac Jones and Devontae Smith two years ago. And on the other side of the field, Cam Hart is a really, really great cornerback. But just to be clear, Cam Hart was the number 644 recruit in his class. He was a low-end three-star. So we've got a low-end three-star who's really developed into a great college football cornerback. I don't want to take away anything from Cannon Hart, but that's not the guy that's going to go out and shut down Jackson Smith and Jigba. So we're going to need to give him a lot of safety help. That probably means we maybe can't blitz as much as we want or do other things in our packages. Like we're going to have to scheme to Jackson Smith and Jigba, which is going to open up things for Chavion Henderson. We're not going to be able to just go and say, all right, you know, Julius Love, you're on an island. You can lock down whoever you want. Or, you know, I don't know, picking someone else. Eli Apple at Ohio State five, ten years ago. Um, just go down and, you know, be a shut-down college corner. We don't have that. Ohio State does, at least on the offensive side. And that's why they're a championship contender this year. And Notre Dame is maybe on the cusp 
but you know it's going to take a lot to fall Notre Dame's way to really contend for a national championship this year. That's why it's that matchup with just elite, elite quarterback wide receiver play at Ohio State and something we just don't have on our roster. And so we're going to need to piece together a lot of other things to go our way to overcome that. It's really tough. And to be fair, I think our secondary is looking about as good as it has in recent memory. For sure. We're good. I think we have, we're solid at the safety position. Our corners are, I, I would describe them as good, not great. Cam Hart, like you said, not the highest ranked recruit. He's definitely exceeded his recruiting ranking, I think. He has some potential to be a day two pick in the NFL draft if he plays well, but he's going up, he's going up against a bunch of guys who are almost surefire first round picks. There's a gap. Even if he's exceeded his lower recruiting ranking, there's still a bit of space between him and the Ohio State receivers. So the offense is obviously a huge element of this. I'm going to shift to the other side of the ball a little bit and talk about Ohio State's defense. Brett, my question to you is, so Ohio State, they're linebackers. They got a lot of flack last year, particularly in the Michigan game. They got exposed there. My question to you is, are they actually bad, and can ND exploit them? Yeah, it's it's interesting that... Ohio State has gotten a ton of negative press of like, you know, if it, but for their linebacking unit, they would have, you know, won the national championship or been in the college football playoff or beat Michigan. Um, maybe, but the stats would suggest that this is a really solid defense and they were really young last year. So ticking through a few things, you know, they were overall the number 20 defense according to SP plus. So they were still a top 25 defense. This is now actually something, though, where the advanced analytics don't always agree with each other. So SP Plus really liked Ohio State's defense. Pro Football Focus graded them out as the 51st defense, so more middle of the pack. Um, and breaking that down, they were 79th in tackling. A lot of that falls on the linebackers. They were 50th in rush defense and 23rd in pass rush. So their run defense and tackling – both a combination of their front four, their defensive line, and also the linebackers in the middle of that unit were not elite, to be clear. But just to also be clear, they weren't bad. And so if you look at who they have coming back, both starters, Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers, they kind of run a 4-2-5. So most of the time they only have two linebackers on the field. So their two starting linebackers are back. They were both sophomores last year. So they were both underclassmen, now juniors together. What's interesting, though, is from a recruiting perspective, this is also the weakest link on Ohio State's roster. Um, by Ohio State standards, there's no five stars in the room. They're both low-end four stars. I believe one was in the 200s, high 200s, and one was in the low 300s in their recruiting rankings. So this is one position group that doesn't have five-star talent. And it shows in the pro football focus grades. Um, Eichenberg last year was a 67, and Steel Chambers was a 64. Those grades basically grayed out to being, you know, kind of average um, college starter level, kind of average starters in the college game. But what I'd also say is they don't have an elite player elsewhere either. Like we, we can get into their secondary and defensive line, but, you know, Josh Proctor, Denzel Burke, those guys were graying out at 73 and 65. Cameron Brown, the other starting corner, 69. So, I mean, they're all kind of in that average side of things on the defensive line Zach Harrison's legit he's getting um you know talk of you know maybe one of the better defensive linemen coming back Tyleek Williams also probably um you know in in that conversation 
um, of kind of maybe second or third team All American or first team All Big Ten. So they've got a couple cogs there on their defensive line. But after that, you know, th- those two guys graded out at 84 and 80. Everyone else was 70 and below on their defensive line in terms of guys coming back. So the Ohio State defense is solid across the board. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Notre Dame where we've got Foskey and then everywhere else is kind of good to above average but not elite. I think that's kind of the same thing for Ohio State where it's more about depth and not having a weak spot. But I think the flack that's been going towards their linebackers without looking at the fact that they weren't that great in the secondary either. It's just the secondary wasn't the reason why they lost to Michigan. The linebackers were who got exposed in their loss to Michigan and actually Oregon. But I think this defense as a whole has some other spots Notre Dame can exploit. It's not just the linebacker matchup, and that's going to be our one chance to stay in this game. Yeah, my takeaway is that their defense was good last year. They got exposed. And I expect them to potentially be a little bit better this year. But they're going to be mortal. I think there are situations that you can make them uncomfortable. And you, you touched on the linebackers. I think they'll probably be better at linebacker this year. The people that they had starting were, as you mentioned, sophomores. And they played at a fairly average level. They were, like you said, middling starters. But now they have a lot of experience. So I would expect them to take a bit of a jump. Are they going to be playing at an elite level? Probably not. But I think they're going to be in a position where they're not so openly exposed at times. Now, the one position group that you kind of touched on that was, I would say, more of a strength on their defense is the defensive line. I'm a little bit more positive on their defensive line. I think Zach Harrison obviously had a very high grade last year. I think he's clearly a top-line defensive lineman. Really, really good with his grade around, what was it? I think he said it was around 84. And then Williams is right around 82. So those are very high-level players. So at the least, you're getting that. And then I, I look at someone like Jack Sawyer, who played pretty well last year, but he also has just immense physical tools. And he's someone who I think, if you get him to take a jump, now you're looking at potentially three players who are, who are grading out maybe near 80 or above. And if you have that, that's going to be pretty challenging. They're going to be able to generate a lot of pressure. They're going to be able to hold up against the run, and they can really set the tone on defense. So that's, that's the position group that I'm looking at to see if they make a jump. I think they have the potential to do so. Again, this group is littered with... Just five-star prospects, Harrison and Sawyer in particular. Both of these guys were consensus five-stars. They were about top 10 overall recruits. So not even just five-stars. They were top-line five-stars. So immense potential there. I think there's a pretty good chance that they could take a jump. On secondary, yeah, I, I agree with you, Brett. They they were fine. They didn't get called out as much as, as the linebackers. I think that they'll be solid. But overall, my takeaway lines up with yours. This will be a good Ohio State defense. If their offense is historically great, I don't think their defense is going to hold them back. I think it'll be good enough to keep the train running, basically. Yeah, I, I agree. And maybe just to recap our thoughts on the defense, it's not just the linebackers is kind of this weak unit. They're pretty solid, above average, not elite. The same thing's probably true about their secondary. So that back seven, there's definitely opportunities for Notre Dame to take advantage. Now, that being said, it'll be taking advantage in a passing game with the you know first-time starter, Tyler Buckner. And then the defensive line is, is really good and, and going to give Notre Dame some challenges, but that's also going up, you know, strength on strength. Our offensive line is probably the strongest unit for us on the field. We'll see there's, um, you know, conversations of whether or not Jarrett Patterson will be available. They've been a little coy on what the injury is, but he's been seen in a walking boot, not practicing. So if he's not able to go and he's probably our best or at least most experienced offensive lineman, um, that could maybe change the dynamic. 
But again, there will be opportunities for Notre Dame's offense knowing we're really young, knowing we've got a lot, you know, we said this, I think there's going to be six sophomores starting on Notre Dame's um, offense. So there's a lot of youth, but there will be opportunities against Ohio State's defense. So turning to our next question, now that we've kind of covered both the offense and defense of Ohio State, and as a reminder, we're 17-point underdogs, that's big. That that kind of translates to being about a 16% chance of winning, right? So this is a long shot. What is the formula, Mike, for Notre Dame to pull off the upset? I can tell you what it's not. If we get into a track meet with Ohio State, we're, there's no chance that we're going to win. If we just trade a lot of possessions back and forth, Ohio State's offense is way too good to keep up with them. So I think we're going to need to run the ball effectively. That's kind of been the formula for how some other teams have done it. Michigan... Oregon, they were able to run the ball effectively on Ohio State, keep them off balance. That also opens up the passing game a bit. Then you start putting pressure on their offense. As good as they are, if the game's tight, then they start feeling it a little bit. Maybe they start making some mistakes. Now, again, I think even with that, I think it's still going to be challenging to beat them just because their offense is potentially going to be so good. ND, we're not the better team here by quite a wide margin. It's, as we've talked about on this podcast many times, Notre Dame is is definitely one of the best teams, one of the best programs in the country, around that top five level. But there is such a big drop-off between top three and then top four and top five. So, And that's what we're dealing with here. So, of course, we're going to have to have a very clean game. We can't have a lot of penalties. We need to limit the holding calls, pass interference, all that. And then we also we also need to win the turnover battle. I think that's important. So we can't be turning the ball over, and hopefully we can catch an interception here or a fumble there. A lot of that will also depend on some breaks as well. We're going to, frankly, we're going to need to catch some breaks in this game too, in order to, to win. As you mentioned, we're 17 point underdogs. I think if you ask what that translates into probability, that says that Notre Dame has about a 16.5% chance of winning. So when your odds are that low, you're going to need some things to, to go your way. And the strategy that you have in terms of keeping them on their heels, having an effective running game, that stuff all has to go to plan too. So you have to execute your plan extremely well, and then you're also going to need to play a clean game, and then you're going to need some breaks too. Yeah, it's it's interesting. If you look at Ohio State's two losses last year to two ranked teams, Oregon in Week 2 and Michigan to close out the year and, and what ultimately decided the Big Ten Championship, um, the same thing happened in both games. One, C.J. Stroud went off. So C.J. Stroud threw for 394 yards against Michigan, and he threw for 484 yards against Oregon. So first and foremost, when I'm watching Saturday, if C.J. Stroud goes off and has a day, not why Notre Dame loses. Um, that that he, he will get his yards. Jackson Smith and Jigba is just too good. Marvin Harrison Jr. is just too good. Fleming's just too good. They will get their yards in the passing game. In both of those games that they lost, Jackson Smith and Jigba caught 127 yards and 145 yards. So... That is okay. You can beat Michigan, you can beat Ohio State with Stroud and the passing game going off. But in both of those games, they rushed for 128 yards and 64 yards. So to me, this is more about Travion Henderson. He rushed for 1200 yards last year and in those two games really struggled, rushed for 74 yards on um, 17 carries in the one game and wasn't even the leading rush in the other. I think he didn't even top the 50-yard mark. So if we can make Ohio State one-dimensional, that will be critical 
to hang in in this one. It's almost like let Steph Curry go off for 40. Just don't let Klay Thompson beat you. Don't let Draymond Green beat you. It's, it's a similar mentality. The other side of this is that both Oregon and Michigan absolutely controlled the run game. So Michigan ran for almost 300 yards and Oregon ran for 270. Interestingly, that wasn't a time of possession thing. Um, in both games, Ohio State had a slight edge in time of possession. So one of the things that drove me nuts about Brian Kelly, and everyone on this show knows I'm a Brian Kelly defender. I think he's a great coach. But in big games, he would get so conservative and just try to milk the clock, try to limit possessions, try to like keep it close. And it never felt like that was trying to win. So it's not like you got to go and, you know, control time of possession. In fact, even the turnovers in both those games, Ohio State actually won the turnover battle against, um, um, against Michigan and barely lost it against, against Oregon just, just by one turnover. So it wasn't even a turnover thing, but it was controlling the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball is going to be the formula. We have to go and run for 250 plus yards. That means Buckner gets going. Hopefully we've got a healthy Logan Diggs, although that's unclear, but Chris Tyree and Audric Estime, they're going to have to go off behind Notre Dame's offensive line, and Notre Dame's going to have to win that strength on strength. Our offensive line against their defensive line is a strength on strength. We need to win that and establish the run game. We will not go out and win this game on Tyler Buckner chucking it, you know, 40 times for 300 yards. That's not the formula. We need to go out and win the running game on both sides of the ball and then just hope that that's enough to outduel CJ Stroud. And to your point, Mike, not in a shootout, but both those games, Ohio State scored 28 points and 27 points. So like we've got to get to the 30s and we just got to hope that's enough to slow down CJ Stroud if they're one dimensional. To me, that is the blueprint. Like it's there. It happened twice last year. They were very similar games to watch. Um, and, and I think you got to follow that blueprint again. Because nothing else slowed down Ohio State really in the last several years other than just beating them on both sides of the ball in the run game. Definitely. And another point was in those games, Oregon and Michigan, because Oregon and Michigan were able to control the line of scrimmage so well, put Ohio State a little off key. What they, what Ohio State found themselves in in terms of situations is they started feeling a little, a little bit of that pressure that I mentioned and they, they started going for it more on fourth down. And what happened is they didn't actually convert. Had they converted, maybe it would have been different. So if we can kind of get them in those situations where they feel like they have to go for it on fourth down, we're also going to need to make sure on those situational plays, fourth down, that we're able to execute effectively and and not allow them to continue moving the chains. So it's it's going to be a challenge. It's certainly possible. We do actually have a really good defense. So if there was a defense that would be able to do this, ours would be a strong contender for pulling it off. Nonetheless, a lot of stuff is going to have to break our way. Pulling all of this together, we're going to move into score predictions. Brett, I'm going to let you go first. First question, does Notre Dame cover? And then the second question, do you have any optimism that Notre Dame can win this game? Oh, boy. Okay, so let's start with some of the context. So we referenced the spread. Notre Dame is a 17-point underdog. According to ESPN's FPI predictor, that's about a 16% chance to win. So 84% of the time Ohio State's winning this game. Um, I already said in the second show of the season when we went through the schedule that I thought Notre Dame would lose this game. I'm going to stick with that prediction. Um, but I do think Notre Dame covers. So SP plus implies that 
Ohio State should be favored by eight points on a neutral field, and usually home field advantage is about three to five points. So that says the spread should be about 12 points. It's interesting. Early in the season is when SP Plus is actually more volatile but better than Vegas. And they're more volatile because SP Plus doesn't have any data analytics to go on. But also Vegas doesn't have any stats to go on. And when betters don't have stats to go on, they go on their gut. And the gut just should always tell you Notre Dame will lose in a blowout in a big game. And so just everyone gets on the bandwagon and bets against Notre Dame until you can see what the team actually looks like throughout the year. So Bill Connolly, creator of SP Plus, I almost always follow what his analytics predict early on in a season, and that says Notre Dame should be about a 12-point underdog. So I think Notre Dame covers. I still just... The the formula when Trevor Lawrence beat us when... um, you know, in the college football playoff in the Cotton Bowl when Mac Jones and Devontae Smith just ripped us apart. That formula for beating Notre Dame is exactly how Ohio State's built. Um, when we stayed close against Georgia, we stayed close against Georgia twice and they didn't have an elite passing game. They didn't have the elite corner or, you know, quarterback wide receiver duo. And that's when we played our best against elite teams. These elite teams with elite wide receivers, I just haven't seen it yet where we've proven an ability to either, one, match that on our offense, or two, shut it down with with kind of elite secondary play. And so um, I really hope Notre Dame wins. I have tickets. I'm going to be sitting in the corner of the end zone, and trust me, I will be screaming my head off to, to hope Notre Dame pulls this one out. I just don't see it happening. Um, I've been back and forth between... 35-21 or 42-28. I got a feeling early on in the season, defense is going to have some rust on both sides of the ball with tackling and everything else. So I've got this one at 42-28. Notre Dame covers, looks respectable, is in the game, but you know ultimately Ohio State pulls away and, and wins comfortably in the second half. 42-28. Um, Notre Dame starts the year 0-1 and, and has to dig out of a hole. I have a similar mindset to you on this. It's just hard to see. It's hard to feel optimistic about our chances of winning this game realistically. There's just so much talent on Ohio State's team, and we're also playing at Ohio State. You're going to have a really fired up crowd. Outside of receiver, we mentioned they don't have as much returning production, but the caveat is that they have a proven commodity with Jackson Smith and Jigba and then a bunch of other stud receivers. It's hard to imagine that their offense would stumble out of the gates. It's just when you have that much coming back, especially with such a an elite quarterback, it's hard to imagine that they don't hit the ground running. So there's always that po- always that possibility that they're a little choppy in that first game. I think it's possible maybe we'd see that more with their defense, but I'd be surprised if we saw that with, with their offense. And then, you know, I guess moving on to, to the spreads that we're seeing, it doesn't give us great odds of winning. You said we have about a 16.5% chance of winning. That's not very high. I, I do think... Looking at the SP Plus ratings, though, that gives me maybe a, a little bit more optimism that we're not going to just like stumble in this game. I, I tend to think that we're going to beat the spread here. Obviously, there's volatility for the first game. We have a first-year head coach. But what I keep coming back to is that we're very strong on both lines, and that's really important. When you have that, you're not going to be physically dominated. Sure, some of our corners could potentially get burnt by the receivers, but... 
generally that should help us set the tone a little bit. And then overall, our defense should be very good. So when you have that, I think that gives you a pretty good floor. And I think that high floor and these elements I talked about with the strength in the trenches and the strong defense, we don't really know how our offense is going to be this year yet. There's some unknowns there with Buckner. But when I when I look at all this overall, I think we're going to hold up okay. I don't see us getting totally blown out and run off the field. Certainly that's a possibility when you play a team as good as Ohio State. But there's just too many elements, too many factors, too much experience, particularly on the defensive side of the ball for us, where I think we're gonna, I think we're gonna hang in there at the least. I don't think we're gonna win. I do, like I said, I do think we're gonna beat the spread. So my score prediction based on all this is I'm going with 35, 21. So 14 point loss. Ohio State doesn't put up a crazy amount of points. Our, Our defense is able to slow them down a little bit. And then on the other side of the ball for us, offensively, we're able to generate some points. But overall, not a, not a great offensive performance for us. I'm going to predict that we are a bit choppy on that side of the ball. So so that's where I'm landing. We at, Before every game last year, we, we would do a Twitter contest to predict the score of the game. And almost always, every single person who follows us on Twitter would predict Notre Dame to win, no matter what the situation was, except our friend Henry. So whenever Notre Dame would lose, Henry would be the last person standing and, and would win by default. And I'm very curious to see of our thousand some Twitter followers, um, how heavy the irrational Notre Dame will beat anybody, um, mentality will, will play into expectations. But clearly Mike and I following the numbers on this one, trying to, you know, lay it like it is and, and speaking with our minds and maybe not our hearts, no matter how much we're pulling for Notre Dame, both with a, a similar prediction for the game of Notre Dame losing this one by, by a couple of scores. Remember, no one, and I mean no one, comes into our house and pushes us around. All right, moving on to our second segment of the show, setting realistic expectations for Marcus Freeman in year one. We've we've been working on some content to, you know, we've, we've really been living with Brian Kelly for the duration of our friendship, um, Mike, you know, going back to our days in undergrad, it's the only coach our friendship has ever known. And so transitioning from that era to the Marcus Freeman era, we want to spend some time in the next few weeks talking about what should we expect out of Marcus Freeman? How should we evaluate him? What's the historical context to put around Freeman? And so this segment, we're going to focus just on, you know, what's a good first year expectation for a head coach? With all of the context historically in college football and then specifically about Notre Dame, we'll maybe come back to longer term expectations, um, in, you know, future shows. But what we did for this segment, going back to all of the coaching hires since 2014. So as a first year coach from 2015 to 2021, there were 72 first year head coaches at power five football programs. And we looked at how those performed and what the kind of characteristics were, you know, good, bad, ugly, that might translate and be more applicable to Marcus Freeman. But stepping back for those 72 coaches as a whole, only 10, so about 14%, ended the season in the top 25. And only three, so about 4%, ended the season in the top 10. That was Ryan Day at Ohio State, Clay Helton at USC, and Dan Mullen at Florida. Now, that kind of makes sense because usually you're only going to, you know, fire a coach and hire a new one if the program's in a bad place, right? If the coach isn't doing well. So 
it's rare to be in Marcus Freeman's situation where you're elevated to head coach taking over for, you know, a program that's in a really good spot, right? And so if you double click, we went into um, programs, just programs that are winning, that are consistently eight or more wins in the last few seasons, had made major bowl games, had recruiting in a good place. There were 17 coaches, so 17 of the 72 hires came into a program on a good trajectory. Five of those 17 finished in the top 25, so about 30%, which was almost triple the rate of the coaches, actually it was triple the rate of coaches taking over programs on a bad trajectory. So if you were at a program not headed the right way, that first year head coach would make the top 25 about 10% of the time. If you were a head coach at a program for your first year head coach at a program on a good trajectory, you'd make the top 25 about 30% of the time. And similarly for the top 10, 12% of the coaches uh, who were taking over a program on a good trajectory made it into the top 10 compared to just 2% for coaches taking over a program on the, on the wrong trajectory. And it also came out in wins, no surprise. So for a trajectory, uh, for a good trajectory, those first year head coaches um, averaged about seven wins. We excluded the shortened COVID season for that. I also threw out Baylor, which was going through an off the field scandal that was rocking the program and had a bunch of transfers and, you know, just was sort of a different situation. But other than those, the average was about seven. And so that means is to be a good first year coach taking over a program on a good trajectory. You want to do better than seven or, or eight or more. So I think eight is kind of the floor for us to say that's the expectation for Marcus Freeman. And you'd hope it'd be eight or higher. And then relative to what we've seen in college football for, for first-year head coaches taking over healthy programs, that's the bar. So, Mike, a question for you. As we look through these programs, what's the best case study? What can we latch on to to say if it goes really, really well, Marcus Freeman's first year should look like X? Before I go into the case studies, Brett, I think I'm going to dive in a little bit more to that last point that you had on what exactly – a successful season looks like. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit more first. And then after that, then I'm going to kick it back to you to talk a little bit more about specific case studies, specific comparisons. I think for me, obviously, we all want to make the playoff. We all want to make the national championship. And we want Marcus Freeman to come in and seem like the next coming of, of, of Newt Rockney. But taking a step back and trying to be as realistic about it as possible, I, I think Nine wins and up would be successful. You mentioned teams on a good trajectory have averaged seven wins for first-year head coaches. So we're clearly on a good trajectory. And nine wins would basically mean we won most of the games that we should have won. And maybe, you know, we dropped games to Clemson, dropped games to Ohio State. Maybe we dropped one that we shouldn't shouldn't have lost. Or maybe a team like USC took a huge jump and had just a very elite offense and was one of those top teams and we lost to them. But I think I think if we win nine games, I'm feeling pretty good about where Marcus Freeman has the program. He'll have shown a, an ability to run a program effectively. And if you have that from just a in-season result standpoint, that plus the recruiting prowess that he brings makes me feel pretty good about the trajectory of the program. Now, eight, if, if, he, if he wins eight... That one is a little trickier, and I think that that would require a little more scrutiny. We'd have to look at the season in a little more detail to to get a little bit more color. Maybe maybe our schedule ended up being a lot more challenging than we were expected, so maybe eight wins is okay. 
But if our schedule is actually easier than expected and we still drop four games, then maybe that doesn't actually look so good. So that's kind of how I'm feeling. I think seven and below, seven would be very, it's been a while since, since we've lost, uh, since we've lost five games or more in a season. So if we were seven and five, to me, that would be very disappointing. And that would, that would mean that the season was very frustrating. And so hopefully we don't, we don't fall to that. If we can win nine plus, I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting kind of going through some of the case studies, right? So we labeled a program on a good trajectory, but that can mean a bunch of different things. So, you know, who struggled, who didn't hit seven wins, who was kind of six wins and below as a first year head coach? It was Jimmy Lake taking over for Chris Peterson in Washington. That was a really great program. Chris Peterson had recently taken it to a college football playoff. They were recruiting well. Like that was set up for Jimmy Lake to continue being really the best team in the Pac-12 for like a solid five-year stretch. So that one's a bit of a head-scratcher. Manny Diaz taking over at, at Miami for Mark Rick. That was actually a program that was in a pretty good spot under Mark Rick. Like they weren't getting the top 10 level, but they were, you know, consistently better than I think a lot of people gave him credit for. Um, Willie Taggart at Florida State taking over after Jimbo. And I know, you know, we've talked about this before on the show. Recruiting had kind of slipped and Jimbo doing Jimbo things, and I, I get it, but that was still a great program for Willie Taggart to take over. Brian Harson at Auburn, you know, Gus Malzahn in his last year, I think, was 6-5 and five in the pandemic season, but year before that was winning 9 or 10 games. Like, that, that Auburn program was in a really good place, so Brian Harson, like, I'm not saying those programs, any of these that I'm talking about, are as good as where Notre Dame was just coming off of making a college football playoff. Um, or I guess, you know, in the last two years in Fiesta Bowl last year. So really major bowl game in, you know, what really two of the last three, three of the last four seasons. So, um, that health, I think the only one that's really in the level is Ryan Day taking over for Urban Meyer at, at Ohio State, you know, coming off of back to back Big Ten championships, et cetera. Now, where Urban Meyer had that program at Ohio State winning a championship in that era and, you know, consistently making the college football playoff, that's probably even another level up from where Brian Kelly has it. So I'm not sitting here and saying the ceiling is 13 wins. I mean, there's a scenario where Notre Dame gets to the college football playoff and wins 13 games this year. I don't know if any of us are expecting that. But Ryan Day is definitely the bar. There are scenarios, though, where, you know, these hires just don't always pan out. Jimmy Lake and Manny Diaz and Willie Taggart and there's there's other examples out there but what I latch onto the most is all of the teams I think where you were kind of headed that were just in that sweet spot of a really solid eight nine ten win season um Ed Ordron at LSU Mark Richt at Miami Mario Cristobal in his first year at Oregon Kirby Smart his first year at Georgia taking over for Mark Rick who went to Miami and left a pretty stable Georgia program that just kind of couldn't get over the hump, but all of those coaches were able to kind of continue what the last guy did. And that I think is the expectation is to continue what the last guy did when things are going well. And so, you know, to me, I, I agree. It's, it's gotta be, you know, hopefully nine or 10 wins, eight. If we go eight and four, we're going to have to have a real conversation about how we got there. Um, if we got there, cause we look good against Ohio state and Clemson and, USC surprises us and goes and wins the Pac-12 and they're really good and we lose there on the road and we flub one up somewhere else. Okay, that I get. But if we go eight and four and we're just not competitive in some of those games, 
that's going to be a much different scenario. And I also say that because our schedule is very strong this year because we're playing Ohio State and Clemson, two teams also in the top five, top six with us, and USC, who's preseason top 15. But after those games, you know, we talk about how unlikely it is for Notre Dame to beat Ohio State, only have a 16% chance. Well, in eight of our other games, we have at least an 82% chance, according to ESPN, at least with preseason data. So BYU, Syracuse, Marshall, Boston College, Stanford, Cal, Navy, UNLV, none of those games should Notre Dame lose. We should be two-score favorites in all of those games. So the scenario where it gets worse than eight and four with the schedule and with the health of the program tells you that even if of the 72 first year head coaches, a lot of times it doesn't go well, but for the 17 that look and feel most like Marcus Freeman, most of the time it goes well. Marcus Freeman has taken over for a well-oiled machine. And when he turns the keys into the ignition, it better be driving 60 miles an hour. And I'm not saying it's got to go win the, you know, win the race, but it's got to be humming and keeping things going where they were. So I'm, I'm right there with you, Mike. I think all those factors says first year expectations, anything worse than eight and four, not acceptable. Eight, we got to be having a conversation, but the goal should really be nine plus wins this year. Yeah, agreed. I think if we're beating the teams that we should beat, maybe we don't beat the elite ones. That bodes well for Freeman's ability to plan for games, to come up with a good strategy, to manage his coaching staff well. And then, as I mentioned before, you throw on the recruiting benefit that we get. And that makes me feel better about the coming years. So it, it tells me that Freeman knows what he's doing as a head coach from an in-game prep standpoint. And then a couple more years of higher-ranked recruiting classes. We'll see where this one lands. But I think I think it certainly should be one of the better ones that we've had in a while. You kind of start lapping those recruiting classes in, and then that gives me some optimism that a few years from now we could be looking at a very, very good Notre Dame team, potentially one that could actually contend for a national championship. Agreed. All right, so that's a wrap for this week's show. Um, as a reminder, particularly to new listeners, we typically try to record on Sundays following a game where we'll recap the game, so say recap Ohio State, and then look ahead to the next game, preview Marshall. We usually try to record on Sunday and get those out on Monday with the Labor Day holiday and the fact that I'm traveling to the Ohio State game. We might be a day late on that, but we'll try to get back into that cadence for our listeners. So we will be back um, hopefully next Monday or Tuesday after the Ohio State game, hopefully reviewing a Notre Dame upset victory. Who knows? And with that, um, that's a wrap for the show. Guy Rish. Guy Rish.